Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. on Total Soccer Show, the weekly episode where we dig into the meatiest topics in the beautiful game. Today, we're heading to Germany and looking at the shocking change of management that occurred during the international break. After taking the helmet by Munich in 2021, Julian Nagelsmann led Die Rotten to their 10th straight Bundesliga title with three games to spare, but they dipped out the Champions League at the quarterfinal stage at the hands of Villarreal. This season, Nagelsmann's side have led the league for 16 of 25 weeks with just three losses on the season and they recently breezed past PSG in the Champions League. However, last weekend, much to the surprise of much of the soccer community, the 35-year-old was relieved of his duties and replaced by Thomas Tuchel, the man who coached Nagelsmann as a player at Augsburg. So where did it all go wrong for Nagelsmann? How will Thomas Tuchel fare in this role? And are Bayern Munich playing 4D chess or have they made a hasty move with this one? My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Taylor Rockwell. Guten Tag, Taylor. Guten Tag, my friend. Hello, Joseph Lowry. Hello. And hello, Graham Rutherford. That was a lovely hello from Joe. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Oh, and a lovely hi from you too, Graham. First off, Graham, um, the most important question, I think, to kick off this episode, did anybody see this coming from what happened last week with the Nagelsmann fire? Not at this particular time. No, I think the timing is bizarre quite frankly um, so Bayern Munich had lost to Bayer Leverkusen in the Bundesliga just before the international break they lost 2-1 in that game and it seems like that match did a lot of damage at Bayern Munich not just because Nagelsmann has, has lost his job but it seemed to really entrench a lot of the doubt that the decision makers at Bayern Munich um, had about Julian Nagelsmann there had been reports over the course of the season of tension between the board and Oliver Kahn and the sporting director at Bayern Munich and Nagelsmann, in particular um, with regards to his 4-2-2 shape earlier in the season. I remember reading a report that said that uh, Kahn and uh, Salah Hadzic, is that how you say that? I'm not quite sure. Uh, I can never get that one right. Anyway, the sporting director at Bayern Munich, they had misgivings about the 4-2-2 shape and so they persuaded Nagelsmann to change back to the 4-2-3-1 that Bayern Munich had used for a number of seasons. And in that 4-2-3-1 shape, Nagelsmann had a lot of trouble in getting consistent performances out of players. I think that was the main concern for Bayern Munich. Not just the fact that I believe they've only won five of their last ten games in the Bundesliga and they're sitting second in the table, but actually the inconsistency with performances was the main concern. But of course, you offset that against their performances and results in the Champions League where they have a 100% record. And you can certainly say that this was a hasty decision by the German champions. Yeah, it is curious when you pull back and look at the overall performance of the season, Taylor. Do you think mm. it was that Leverkusen loss that ultimately, well, obviously it was the final straw, I suppose, but it, it must have been building. I think building is, is what I would say. And I agree with Graham that this was a surprise. I know that there's other publications, other podcasts have indicated, like, actually, we saw the writing on the wall a year ago, six months ago. I still think it was a surprise. And I think some of the way Bayern Munich has handled this uh, is sort of indicative of that. It reminds me of like Jerry Seinfeld nit- nitpicking his dates in every single episode of Seinfeld, a show that I'm rewatching, if that wasn't clear, which is why I then reference it all the time. <laughs> but all of the little, like, he rode a skateboard to training. He rode a motorcycle to training. Sometimes he dressed weird. Like, it feels very looking for reasons yes. to not yes. be happy with Julian Nagelsmann. And, and I think that is the issue in and of itself. It feels to me like Julian Nagelsmann... Bayern, I think at this point felt like was not the right guy, was not the guy that they want, they should have hired, that Thomas Tuchel maybe was the guy they wanted and had previously pursued. So I think Bayern made the decision and are now sort of 
like giving out the evidence and giving us exhibit A through exhibit Z as to why they made this decision. And ultimately, they're the ones who have to live with it. So I think for them, it probably is the correct one. For me, as a neutral outsider, it felt very premature and it felt very revealing about the way Bayern Munich want to operate, how they want to be perceived as a club and and how they perceive themselves as a club. Yeah, Taylor, I think you make a fantastic point there. I was reading through a, a very good piece, an informative piece by Rafa Honigstein for The Athletic that sort of took took us through the inner workings and some of the behind-the-scenes thinking from Bayern Munich people, right? There's a lot of reporting and a lot of comments on this decision from Bayern, and you read it, and it's sort of like one seemingly silly thing yeah. after another that led, led them to this point. I will say, I think there are some justifiable reasons for why Bayern Munich did this, and maybe we'll get to that later. But this, in a lot of ways, feels like a very un-Bayern thing to do because I think of Bayern Munich as being a very well-run club, generally thoughtful in how they do things. They just paid 25 million euros to get Nagelsmann from Leipzig. They paid a transfer fee, essentially, for a manager to get him in to replace Hansi Flick. That's the most money that's ever been spent to, to break a managerial contract, essentially, and to get him to sign a new one with a new club. Like, they'd invested in Nagelsmann. So there's a lot of parts that feel weird here. And some of the justification that's being tossed out, you know, you mentioned the, the skateboard, right? You know, coming up to training on a longboard, uh, riding a motorcycle into the town was something that was mentioned. Bayern Munich players needing a father figure, not a brother, oh, not an older brother figure. You hire, yeah. like, the youngest high-profile manager in, in soccer. That's what do you, ex- like, there's so many of these things that feel like we're just bending over backwards to give reasons that justify our decision. And I think that's sort of telling because even Bayern Munich maybe know deep down that this is a a weird, weird decision to make at this point in the season. Yeah, I think the the big brother versus like a father uh, statement, I find particularly revealing. I think a lot of these articles have, in my mind, been really clearly Bayern like back back channel briefing journalists. Those comments, I think, are revealing because Julian Nagelsmann Starts at Hoffenheim when he's, what, like 27, 26, 28, something in there. Very, very young. And another key aspect of this is does not have the high-profile career. I think was a player, got injured, chose to go elsewhere, I think went to school, came out of school, and then got into football management, but doesn't have that playing background. And we have had other managers who have that same situation. Jose Mourinho is probably the prime example of that. But by the time Jose Mourinho gets Chelsea, he has already won the Champions League with Porto and has the assistant coaching pedigree going back to Barcelona that I think gives him that resume. And I think with, with Nagelsmann, there was this feeling of here's this young upstart who could be a potential Bayern Munich for Bayern Munich manager. Bayern Munich is apparently I like how you that. make that Manteau. <laughs> uh, like he could be there for 20 years. He's so young, and and he could be a key part of what defines Bayern for the next decade or two decades. I think that was the idea, and I think with that there was a little bit of Bayern Munich, uh, sometimes called Hollywood FC. It was a very Hollywood thing in my mind of them sort of interviewing him and saying, look, no notes. We're not going to give notes. It's your script. It's your movie. We want you to make the movie you want. And then three days later, we're like, we do have some notes, though, on how we would like this movie to yeah. go. And my reading between the lines is that Nagelsmann didn't want the notes, didn't really take them, believed in what he was doing. And I think Byron started to feel like this guy is not really listening to us, is alienating certain players in the team that we want around, is sort of doing his own thing and not representing the style we want. And... And I don't begrudge him for doing that at all, because I think that's what's made him a successful manager. But I also think for Bayern, if you're sort of trying to control this institution and you have a person who doesn't really want to sort of fall in line, they're going to make a decision. And that's what they did. Yeah, I think Bayern Munich have an idea of what a Bayern Munich manager should be like and should be. And Nagelsmann just didn't fit into that. So if we go back through the managers that Bayern Munich have had over the last 10 years, Jupp Heynckes is the most successful there, won the Champions League. That is actually the embodiment of the manager Bayern Munich think that they should have. That's what a Bayern Munich manager looks like in the minds of Bayern Munich. Very successful, that father figure, sort of an elder statement, someone who, statesman, someone who is very much uh, the epitome of German football. Then you have Pep Guardiola. That is a slight deviation, actually. And in fact, the, the 4-2-3-1 framework that was put in place by Louis van Gaal that has sustained Bayern Munich for a long, long time. Pep Guardiola kind of started to break that apart a little bit. He moved Bayern Munich into the 4-3-3, but never deviated too far from what Louis van Gaal had put in place, what Jupp Heynckes had, had left behind. Then from there, you have Carlo Ancelotti, again, another very experienced um, manager. Jupp Heynckes 
Davis comes back. Nico Kovac, he is a former Bayern Munich player, so again, you could say he understands the club. Hansi Fleck, again, had been assistant. He'd been a part of the German national team. And then you have Julian Nagelsmann, who comes in. And I remember when he was appointed, the idea was that he would evolve Bayern Munich's framework, their tactical framework. They would move away from this 4-2-3-1 that football in general has kind of moved away from somewhat. And they would move into this 4-2-2 shape that Nagelsmann tried for the start of this season. But it feels like after one transitional season where Nagelsmann comes in and he makes tweaks to the to Hansi Flick's team, but there was a lot of compromise going on there for Nagelsmann last season. This season was meant to be, if last season was the transitional season, this season was meant to be the season of fruition for Nagelsmann. And it hasn't really worked out that way. They signed Sadio Mane to essentially be the replacement for Robert Lewandowski. And that, for me, was the biggest indicator of the change that was meant to happen this season. They don't replace Lewandowski with a like-for-like 20-goal-a-season striker. They go and get a fluid stri- uh, forward like Sadio Mane, and they start the season with Serge Gnabry and Mane as the front two. That then... Actually, initially, they had a d- decent degree of success. I remember praising it on the, on the show. Then Bayern Munich started to miss chances, as you would tend to when you take someone like Robert Lewandowski at the team, and they've gone back to this 4-2-3-1. So I can sort of understand from Bayern Munich's point of view that they thought last season was meant to be the transitional season. They've ended up with, as good as Bayern Munich have been in the Champions League this season, they've sort of ended up with another transitional season, and they want someone to come in and essentially complete that transition, and they see Thomas Tuchel as a safer pair of hands than Nagelsmann at this point in time. So, so Graham, I get, I get everything we've all said here and let, Tuchel is effectively a course correction for Bayern Munich because they didn't, the perception being that Nagelsmann wasn't the right man. But what I can't quite consolidate is that Bayern Munich are a club who we know do their due diligence. They do their homework. So why would they bring in someone like Nagelsmann? Would, would they not have known yeah. already that he wasn't the right man? And, That's why I can't quite work and, out. And they got eg- exactly what they should have expected from Nagelsmann, which was a manager who I read, uh, it might have been in the Honigstein piece that you referenced, Joe, but Bayern Munich were concerned by the number of changes that Nagelsmann makes game to game, and they were concerned that that prevented their best players from building up any sort of momentum. So actually, if you look back at the last season and a half, while Bayern Munich have won the Bundesliga title, they've been competitive in the Champions League, of that team, who have been the standout performers over entire seasons? You're kind of struggling to think who the superstar of that team is. And look, Nagelsmann might argue that's a good thing. Everyone's playing at a similar level. He can chop and change depending on the task at hand, on the opponent in front of, of Bayern Munich. But Bayern Munich were concerned that it wasn't making the best of the talent within their squad. But that's exactly what Nagelsmann did at RB Leipzig. The character that we're hearing about uh, with uh, Nagelsmann of him... Uh, riding a motorbike and sometimes wearing makeup and eye makeup and sometimes coming into training on a longboard. We knew all these things about Julian Nagelsmann at RB Leipzig. So yes, that is that is maybe the most pertinent question. Why do Bayern Munich now not believe that Nagelsmann is the man for the job when 18 months ago they paid a world record fee to get him from Leipzig when he has essentially been pretty consistent in his coaching and his character? I think... A lot of it has to do with that consistency in character in that I don't know how malleable of a person he is. And I think when Byron paid that fee, my assumption, this is all very much reading between the lines with a bit of armchair uh, psychoanalysis, so buckle up for this one. Uh, but I think my, my assumption is that they paid that fee and they expected a manager to come in sort of humbled by the appointment. Uh, I heard in the Gagan Pressing podcast, they were talking about how his sort of co- coaching plan had been Leipzig, then another kind of bigger club at like the inner, like the medium level, and then a club of Bayern Munich stature. So that he makes that jump is a big move for him. But I think for Bayern, there's a feeling of now we're bringing in this young guy who has had su- success with his ideas, and he will sort of meld them with Bayern Munich's identity, similar to kind of what Pep Guardiola did, and we will have this uh, established success. But then some of those points in that in that Honigstein piece, the players talking about not only were they confused by they might start one game and then be left out the next, but also not a ton of explanation from Nagelsmann. It felt like he wasn't very much a communicator with that locker room at times, and it seems like he wasn't a very good communicator with the board, emphasized by he decides to go skiing when they're on a bit of a skid. It felt like nobody liked that choice. It all seems to me like Nagelsmann is a guy who trusts himself and trusts what he is doing and sort of... I think that can easily be perceived as arrogance. I also think it connects to the idea that he wasn't that top-level player. And I do think a top-level player, it's what probably makes Zidane 
one of the reasons why he's such a good manager is because I think he knows how to talk to players who are of that stature, who have that ability and knows how to get the best out of them, but also knows how to say, hey, you played two games. Sometimes you got to get a rest. You'll be back in next week. Don't worry about it. I get the sense Nagelsmann wasn't really explaining those decisions and sort of trying to rule with an iron hand to establish that reputation, to establish that control. But that can go the other way and be perceived as, oh, he's a guy who won't take notes. He won't take any sort of uh, combination or uh, working together to find compromise. And that's not what we're looking for. But, but is the counter argument it- to that, no, sorry, Joe, to jump in just very quickly, no, is the counter argument to that, though, not that he, he did make changes. So not, a couple of the articles that I read said that, and I referenced this earlier, that the Bayern Munich board essentially talked to him about the 4-2-2 shape not working. And so he went back to the 4-2-3-1. Eric, Eric Chupamoting ends up as the number nine as the replacement for Lewandowski yep. because he makes that compromise. So if that's the complaint Bayern Munich have about him now, is that an unfair complaint? Because to me, it does feel like Nagelsmann has actually compromised. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's unfair. I'll, I'll like... I'll, yeah, I don't know if you wanted to add anything else there, Taylor. Sorry, I'll I'll like keep going on some of the the stuff here that doesn't really make sense. Taylor, going back to what you said in describing Nagelsmann, I think a lot of what you said is is absolutely true. Could you not just sub out Nagelsmann's name and put Tuchel's name instead in a lot of those? Like a problem at Chelsea for Thomas Tuchel was communicating with certain sections of the locker room. We heard about all of that stuff. We talked mm-hmm. about this like six months ago on the big thing. I feel like almost. Everything you just said, yep. with the exception of the youth side, the former player without like a super high pedigree, a manager that has strong personality and want. I mean, these things just describe with the exception of the former player side of things like those attributes that you mentioned pretty much just describe the elite managers in the game. Right. Which is why for Bayern Munich, it's another reason why I feel like this doesn't make a ton of sense from them. Like you're going in to bring Thomas Tuchel. Yeah. Because you want a guy who's yeah. like pliable? Like, no, you're not. Absolutely not. Like, that doesn't make any sense. There, there's no basis for that decision. If you want to go for Thomas Tuchel because he's the guy you wanted all along, and that's kind of how I feel about bits and pieces of this. Maybe there's some regret. 2018 yeah. was the, the time when, when they were pursuing Tuchel. Eventually, they decided to not go all in on him, and he went to PSG. And maybe they've regretted that ever since. And so you go out and spend a bunch of money on Nagelsmann and convince yourself that you're excited about that. And I think there were justifiable reasons to be excited about that. I think Nagelsmann has had a bunch of success here. I mean, winning a Bundesliga title, making it to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, losing to Villarreal, yes, in the quarterfinals, which was a big failure for this team. But, like, you get to the best eight teams in Europe. In my view, it it gets to be a little bit of a crapshoot as far as who's going to win that competition, except if you're Real Madrid, and then you're just going to win it every year. Like, he's done. He's checked the boxes, with the exception of the Champions League, which I don't personally blame him a lot for. It just there's not a lot of logic that I can trace through here. It seems to be a very emotional decision that Bayern Munich have made. Yeah, that that's where like to Graham's question. No, I think it's unfair, Joe. I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. I think it just gets to I I don't see any other strong rationale for this aside from back room. They just didn't get along, yeah. and this was a match that wasn't good chemistry. There wasn't the connectivity there. To your point, Joe. Yes, everything about Tuchel like that's the joke, right? Yeah. Is, getting rid of an obstinate manager who has a history of falling out with players to bring in an obstinate manager who has a history of falling out with players who, as I understand it, rejected the Bayern job or was hesitant to take it because he had concerns about being able to move on then-senior players, several of whom I believe are still senior players, uh, who sort of have a lot of control. It reminds me of of Chelsea when John Terry was there and Frank Lampard were there and managers kept coming in and kept trying to leave John Terry out or leave Frank Lampard out and eventually they would get sacked and those two would get brought back in. I think there is this idea that you have to blend what you're doing with what Bayern does and when we say blend, we mean you get 20%, we get 80%. I keep going back to the we're not going to give you notes but here are a bunch of notes. Instead of this being a comedy, could be, could it be an action movie? Like th- it just seems like there was a lot of that sort of control from the board, or just tinkering from the board, or a desire to tinker from the board that didn't really work out. My question coming away from this is: What is it about the four two two two? Aside from not ever being fully confident, I know how many twos he used. <laughs> that seems to make people lose their minds because I feel like this is not the only case that we've had a manager try to play that system and everyone acts like it's just full on anarchy or something like that. Like, yeah, we're gonna play a a zero eight two or something. Like, I I don't get why people seem so bothered by this, but it, that does seem to be a big point of contention that he wanted to play this revolutionary style that many other clubs play pretty consistently. Hmm. 
Very interesting to think about that. Let's shall we take a quick break? We'll come back to that one. We'll dig a bit more into Nagelsmann's exit and the new dawn that Thomas Tuchel may or may not bring to Bavaria. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking about Bayern Munich and their managerial comings and goings. Joe, as I mentioned at the top, this is a Bayern Munich team that have lost three league games. They're doing pretty well in that respect. Still in the Champions League, uh, very much in the Champions League, as Graham mentioned as well. So from from that perspective, things are going okay. So yep. what, what exactly made Bayern pump the brakes at this point what has gone wrong besides maybe a personality clash because yeah you know it's not it's not unusual for a manager to clash with the uh with the front office for example and still carry on if they're getting results which i mean yes but uh buying a one point behind Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga at the moment with a classic coming up this weekend one could argue that's curious timing to bring in a new manager but uh what why do you think it was done at this point what exactly had gone wrong for it to get to this so there are all the off-field personality stuff that, that we've, we've already dug into. I do think there are some results-based reasons for why Bayern Munich choose to do this at this time. Now, I want to be clear. I don't have experience running a club or a super club or a mega giant giga club, whatever you want I mean, to call you Bayern Munich. we did that draft. Like, we did, did, we did do draft a draft yesterday, and, and so, so yeah, I guess yeah. in some ways I have that experience. But I mean, I, I'm going to say that I would not have made this choice. Like knowing what I know and, and seeing the results and seeing this team play, I, I think this was not the right decision to make. At the same time, I can understand some of the rationale behind why Bayern Munich made this choice. So results, yes, they're they're absolutely in the Champions League. They've been very, very good. They've beaten Bayern Munich. I mean, they've beaten Barcelona, excuse me. They've beaten PSG. You know, They've done a lot of good stuff this season. They are still one of the best teams in Europe. At the same time, they're only one point behind Bruce Dortmund in the league. Like, they're not at the top of the table. Their numbers are not as good this year as they were last year. They did have that Champions League defeat to Villarreal, which I don't put a ton of stock into, but I think executives around the soccer world very much do. Like, you can go through and look at the reasons why 
this team hasn't been so good. I think I don't have a great answer to the question you asked before we went to break, Taylor, about that four triple two shape. Like mm-hmm. I I don't I don't understand why people get all in a tizzy about that. It's it's really not that different than like a four four two or a four two. It's it, it's all like shades of the same thing here. Yeah. But there was a big difference between the very spacious positional play back three was so often like a three one five one like very controlled possession shape that Bayern Munich used under Nagelsmann last year to they tried to be a little bit more direct and aggressive in a four two 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 shape which does lend itself a little bit better to quick almost more red bully kind of soccer because your players are, are more in a line they're not as spaced out they're not in different you know vertical and horizontal lines like they're they're in a, a rectangle in the middle of the field. And Bayern Munich did try to do more of that stuff, and then they flipped back to sort of the back three, and that's what they've been using more recently in that kind of 3-1-5-1, one, 3-1-6, one, whatever you want to call it. So there hasn't been a ton of tactical consistency. The results have not been quite as good. Like, they're they're not running away with the league, and they're really missing the production of Robert Lewandowski. So there's a lot of different factors here that you can look at and say, you know, this team is not at the Bayern Munich level week in and week out in the Bundesliga and so from that perspective, I'm not, I'm not totally sure that I buy it, but from that perspective, I can see why you would be tempted to make this move. Uh, I, I guess things will remain to be seen whether or not it was the right move uh, as the season goes on. Do we think, Taylor, obviously th- there's, the, there's those considerations that Joe's mentioned, but what about his, his management style in terms of uh, Mamel Neuer being allowed to go off and ski and break his leg? Well, Do we... I mean, I don't know how much of that responsibility falls on Nagelsmann, but presumably he had to give his blessing for that kind of thing. Do we think even that kind of has influenced the decision at all? I would hope not. Uh, it wouldn't for me. I feel like controlling players' personal lives, I think. I guess a manager can have input, but ultimately the players are professionals and adults. I think they've got to learn how to ski responsibly. We have talked previously about how clubs will put uh, provisions into contracts prohibiting them from doing certain dangerous behaviors. Uh, somebody, I think, tried to go to the moon and then was prohibited from doing that. Like they they bought like a seat on a potential space flight and that wasn't allowed. That was a long time ago. Uh, but I don't think that's the thing that Nagelsmann needs to be concerning himself with. I do think that Bayern Munich have a history of very much valuing the squad and the input of the squad, and I think also have a history of sometimes overly doing that. Uh, We talked about this, or I talked about this, with the Antonio Conte episode we did last week, I believe, um, about basically one of the most famous instances of a manager taking to a press conference and just venting his frustrations, aside from Antonio Conte, is Gio Trapattone with Bayern Munich and talking about Bayern Munich players, not like raising their game, not being motivated, not playing as sharply as they needed to, not training as hard as they needed to. And he, I think, ends up leaving that season. He eventually comes back and then burns out again. But this has happened with Bayern previously, where you have embedded, entrenched squad members who who have a way they want to play because that has brought them great success with other managers. And now you have another manager coming in who's doing things differently. I get very confused on that front because there's reports that training was like like too tactical and too involved, but then simultaneously not rigorous enough. It sounds like basically they wanted to have really high intensity like uh, seven aside games and Noggle's been very focused on patterns of play and rotations. And I think some of that stylistically becomes like when you combine that with maybe some poor communication, I think you start to see those cracks and those breakdowns. And then you just have players played out of position or wanted to do different things. Sadio Mane playing centrally, I think, to start the season, but he would prefer to play out wide. But then Musiala had been playing out wide. Now Musiala playing centrally. Uh, it just it feels like there has been experimentation in in maybe the wrong ways at the wrong time with a lack of just cohesiveness in training and in an overall squad preparation combined with things like firing the goalkeeper manager or the goalkeeper coach, bringing in a new one, the former goalkeeper coach being very close to Manuel Neuer. So it also feels like there was some, I don't know, backroom politicking happening at the same time. So we're in a new era now. We are in the Thomas Tuchel era at Bayern Munich. Uh, Joe Tuchel is, of course, an excellent coach. Two Champions League finals. He's got a Champions League win under his belt with Chelsea, of course. Two league titles at Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, and uh, obviously coaching experience in the Bundesliga, um, not least with Borussia Dortmund winning the DFB Pokal. Is he a significant upgrade or an upgrade at all on Julian Nagelsmann, though? I don't think so. Right? For me, Nagelsmann and Tuchel and 
maybe Pep and Klopp or maybe a few others are sort of in the upper echelons of European management. Maybe Nagelsmann is still a, a little bit outside that group because he hasn't had as long with a super club in the way that Tuchel and, and Pep and Guardiola have. So maybe Nagelsmann's like sort of a half step down from that. But I, I don't really think there's a meaningful difference in how these two people, Tuchel or Nagelsmann, will elevate Bayern Munich. I think Bayern Munich... If you, if you ask me today, are still going to win the Bundesliga? I think they have a very good chance of winning the Champions League if they can, if they can get past Man City. Like, Bayern Munich are going to be fine. That's my view. I think they're going to handle business this weekend against Dortmund. And even if they don't, they still have enough time. Like, there's like 10-ish games left in the Bundesliga yeah. season. There's, there's plenty of time for them to sort of establish a lead in the Bundesliga and even get a little bit of cushion. I think that was going to happen regardless of whether it was Nagelsmann or Tuchel. I'm intrigued by this because new managers coming in is fun, and it's fun to watch these teams change and evolve. I'm intrigued to see what Bayern Munich are going to look like under Thomas Tuchel, but I mean, I'm not sure it's going to be wholly different in terms of what the product we're seeing on the field is. This team is going to try to control games. They're going to try to possess the ball. I think we'll see like last year's Bayern Munich and stretches of this year's Bayern Munich at times of the back three with careful buildup, with, with spaced, players spaced out across the field, trying to do those positional play control kind of things. We'll see some aggressive pressing. Like We're going to see a relatively similar style of soccer to what Bayern Munich have been doing and to what all of the best teams in the world do. Yeah, which my conspiracy brain has me thinking that that's part of why they they made the decision when they did. Obviously, you want the international window to give the new manager a little bit more time with the team. But also, Joe, I I share your enthusiasm for a Bayern result, basically. I think Bayern will win, Der Klassiker. And then I think if you still had Nagelsmann there and they win... It's a lot harder to sack your manager after he's just taken the team back right. to the top of the right. table, beating their title rivals. So I think that's also part of this is get him out, get Tuchel in. You win this game, very much banking on winning this game, I say Bayern Munich would be. And then you're, it's sort of is like, see, that's why we made this decision, because now we've got a guy in who's going to like literally win us the title in this game. Right. It would, it, and all this is so weird, right? Because Taylor, I love that point about, you know, what if, what if we'd won the class? What if we'd won yeah. your classicer with Nagelsmann, yeah. right? When it seemed very clear, the reporting is that Bayern Munich were, were mostly okay building up to the Leverkusen loft. They're mostly okay to sort of ride out Nagelsmann's season and then to make a clean break over the summer. So the, it, the reporting was that they wanted Tuchel and Tuchel basically said, now or never, guys. Like this is, mm-hmm. this is the moment. I want this job now. Like this is the time to make the change. And so they do. If they'd waited with Nagelsmann and he'd won that game against Dortmund this weekend and he'd gone on to win the Bundesliga title, which is still the most likely outcome, basically, no matter how you think about it. And he'd gone on to, to win or maybe to make the Champions League final. Are you going to fire Nagelsmann then? Right. That's one of the things yeah. I've kept wondering as we've talked about this. You know, could you make that decision? What does that look like to the public eye? I don't think it looks great. So you go ahead and, and make the move now. And accept that you're going to get a new manager bounce, which is just kind of like a, a fancy narrative way to give managers credit for improvement that was naturally coming to teams anyway. Like if Bayern Munich win the title this year, it's not going to be because of Thomas Tuchel, right? It's going to be because they have really good players. They're still within striking distance of Dortmund. They have better squad depth and better top end talent than anybody in the league. Like it's not going to be because Tuchel pulled out this tactic that no one on earth has ever thought about before, right? Yeah. So Tuchel's in a great spot in terms of winning stuff. If he loses, like, oh, I came in in March. Like, what am I supposed to do about it? And if he wins, yeah. he's he's in dreamland ahead of next season, and everybody loves it. It's great. <laughs> win win for him, Joe. Did you just yeah. dispel the idea of new manager bounce? So saying yeah. it was something that's coming anyway. I don't think that's always the case, surely. Well, I think there's two sides of this, and I kind of dismiss the. The personality side, which does, I think, play a real part in this. Like, you get sick of the voice in the locker room, right? And you're tired of it. You don't feel energized. You don't feel up for it. And and everybody's just sort of done. And it's unclear if that was the case here with Nagelsmann. It seems like there were some players that really liked him, Joshua Kimmich being one of them, some players that that didn't. That's just how it goes. Like, that that's soccer at a high level. You're going to have big personalities. They're not all going to get along. You set those differences aside to get the job done. I think in this case, and in every case with a new manager, there's going to be some different personalities that mesh, and maybe that gives some intangible boost to the team. But really, like generally speaking, Ryan, my view on this, and I think this is backed up with the numbers and by people who are a lot smarter than me, generally speaking, teams fire their managers when they're doing worse than they should, right? Like when you're having a really bad run that's that's not going to continue forever because you just can't be that bad for this long, that's when you fire your manager because you got to save face, right? The manager is the easy one to swap in. But then, you know, you were never that bad in the first place. So you sort of get a few results back. You start drawing games, you win a few, and you stabilize and avoid relegation or climb back into the title spot in Bayern Munich's situation. So yeah, in my view, it's like, 
the manager is the PR move that you make because things are bad and people are angry. It's maybe not always, maybe sometimes it is, but maybe not always the single thing that fixes your season. Uh, For more on this topic, we did an episode of Soccer 101. Number 125, what is the new manager balance and is it a real thing? To what Joe's talking about, I think like the statistical analysis that indicated it wasn't an actual thing is basically the idea that managers on average get, I think, like 1.3 points per game. uh, And a sacked manager averages around 1.1. So there's an idea that when you sack the manager and bring in a manager who's going to average 1.3, they're just regressing to the mean. But that looks like improvement because the other one was doing so poorly. The question then becomes, if a new manager comes in and improves the performance, is that not a new manager bounce? Is the performance not improved? And then I think that's where you get to the intangibles that Joe was talking about there. And I think that is sort of what Bayern Munich are probably banking on, is you bring in a manager who at this point, it feels like the narrative on Thomas Tuchel is unfairly done by, has a a harsh go at PSG and tries to navigate that one, then goes to Chelsea. And now what we've seen happen with Potter, the narrative is like, maybe they shouldn't have sacked him. Maybe Thomas Tuchel did a lot of things. And so I think there's probably other instances or other issues involved in there like maybe Spurs needing a manager maybe some concerns that other people are going to go for Tuchel but I think a lot of it is you can bring in a manager who's had success in the Bundesliga and abroad and in the Champions League uh, and you can get players on board pretty quickly he's probably going to do pretty basic things in training to start high intensity things but basic things that will get the team sort of playing a more a more basic brand but also a more basic brand that they can probably execute a little bit better And that's where this is a long-winded answer. I apologize. Going back to that Leverkusen loss, watching that game, I was struck by how rigidly tactical Leverkusen were under Xabi Alonso. And I do not mean that in a negative way. It was really pretty. My notes were very, like, flowery and flowing about how much I enjoyed that, like, the ball goes here, these two guys go here, these two guys drop in. The ball goes there, this guy moves there. It was all so clearly practiced and rehearsed and trained and like beaten into this team. And by contrast, Bayern Munich are able to play on the counter and score a goal in like nine seconds. And my argument in that game when they score that goal was this is like definitive Bayern Munich that can be totally not at the races, look outclassed, and yet they can be brutal and efficient in their counterattack. But I do wonder if you're the Bayern board and you're watching that, there's Leverkusen playing this very pretty, organized like system of play that is working and here's our club looking a little bit all over the place and kind of playing on the break and I and I wonder if that wasn't really what they were looking for with Nagelsmann and so Tuchel coming in and bringing some of that maybe tactical discipline will go some distance towards making them happy all right let's take another quick break when we come back we'll look a bit more at the personnel potential changes within the team itself and take a closer look at this title race and perhaps also this classic are coming up as we speak this weekend. Back shortly. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking Bayern Munich and their managerial changes. Listener, if you've been missing the voice of Graham Rutherford, um in the last few minutes, he actually came into this podcast on a longboard and we decided uh, to <laughs> let him go halfway through the episode. Um, just kidding, he actually had a power outage, so he, he can't be joining us for the rest of the episode. But thank you, Graham, for your contributions uh, up to the point. Wait, wait, wait. It, wasn't, it wasn't that I, I needed a father figure, not an older brother figure. That's what I thought it was. That's what I was told. <laughs> This whole time. I mean, you have to wait for the TSS TSS big thing where they analyze right. the big thing. Right. Okay. Uh, that will be coming on uh, on a different feed shortly. I <laughs> yeah, imagine. He, dem- he demanded Joe go on an emotional rant versus providing like very uh, like well reasoned responses, and that felt like out of character for him. And then he asked Joe to go skiing, and I don't know. What yeah, to I was going to say we're also but, skiing while yeah, recording yeah. this episode. <laughs> yes. Somehow, I don't. I don't know very how that's risky. happening, but very risky. yeah, yeah. And, and, and wearing that crazy blazer. The other day was just, it was too much, all too much, all too much. So he had to go. Uh, just kidding, uh, Graham. Uh, we hope you get electricity back in your home mm. very soon. But, I thought the blazer uh, was too much, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Coming back to Bayern very swiftly. Taylor, what do we think about the actual team itself? We talked a bit about the formational differences between the managers, but like, is Eric Chipmoting going to be starring up top anymore? What's going to be happening, do we think, personnel wise? My guess is that he will be. My guess is that they'll they'll probably go with. Something approximating that four two three one. I mean, Tuchel can do different things, has done different things. Joe will certainly speak to that, I'm sure. But I, I think there have been certain performers that have worked well. I think Chupamoteng in that spot has done fine this season. And if you want to kind of get the team 
functioning very quickly, I think you go with what's been working and then change the few things that haven't. But largely, I think it will be Kimmich and Goretzka. I think we'll see Thomas Muller. I think we'll see Musiala involved, certainly. Uh, maybe, maybe like, like Kingsley Coleman less, maybe Serge Gnabry less, maybe Lee Rosana, but like there's so much talent there that you have to kind of find a way to work all them in. And uh, aside from that, maybe a little more, if not defensive discipline, then just more defensive steadiness. Open Makano, a player that I've talked about as being erratic or unreliable at times in games. And I, and I wonder if Tuchel can bring just a, a steadier hand and get that, that defense playing the way I would expect a Bayern Munich defense to play. Joe, is that how you see it? I don't really know how I see it, to be honest. Taylor, I think you mentioned part of my struggle here. It's, it's an embarrassment of riches. Like, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you align this? I, I think we're still going to see players come in and out of the squad. I do think a, a couple of players that will be very important to how Thomas Tuchel wants to play. Alfonso Davies on the left side, he's somebody that can go forward from the left back spot and become really like a, a width provider. And when Thomas Tuchel came into Chelsea, also midseason, we saw them use a back three and, and the wingbacks became a very important part of that team. Alfonso Davies is also just an elite talent in that role. So I'm curious to see whether he's going to be used as a wingback, whether he'll be used uh, sort of defending in a back four. Tuchel could go either way, and he has done at different stops in his career. And then another player is is Joshua Kimmich. For Bayern Munich to have a player of his caliber in central midfield, he's not going to be a guy that comes in and out of the lineup. Like Alfonso Davies is not going to be a guy that comes in and out of the lineup. But Kimmich especially, whether they're in a double pivot in something like a 3-4-3 where the wingers are, are coming inside into the half spaces, and that's a spot where Musiala could shine in that half space where he can come deeper and push play forward. You know, maybe it's Gnabry or Mane or, I mean, the, Muller, like you can, do this all day long with different options in these spots. You bring those players inside, you send the fullbacks forward, the wingbacks forward, maybe use Benjamin Pavard as the right-sided center back, which is basically what he's done for the majority of the last two years for Bayern Munich, just shifting between center back and fullback, depending on if they have the ball or not. But Kimmich in midfield, either as, as a one or as part of a two at the base of that area of the field, I think he's, he's going to be a very pivotal player, no pivot pun intended there, pivotal player for Thomas Tuchel. Uh, one other player I think worth noting because we haven't talked about him, and it sounds like Nagelsmann didn't talk about him very much, is Ryan uh, Gravenberch. I still don't know how to say if it's Birch, is it Berg? It's all very confusing. Just say it uh, really fast. Say it really fast yeah. and no one will ask. Yeah, okay. Gravenberch. There you go. Yep. Uh, real quick. Uh, but I think that is one that I saw a couple different places talk about as being a player that they spent a lot of money on, very young. They brought in because they expected Nagelsmann to sort of further his development and have him become a key part of the squad that hasn't really happened yet. I, I think if we see Thomas Tuchel succeeding, uh, it will be with uh, Gravenberch uh, starting or getting more opportunities, if not starting, because I think there's so much talent there. But I think that is probably part of his mandate, part of his no notes, but here are some notes from the board, is getting the best out of some of the young signings, Gravenberch being one, Masrawi being another one. He hasn't had the season that I think I expected him to have and others did. So getting those two players uh, to function effectively in the system, albeit as probably squad players, I think will be a thing that Thomas Tuchel will be asked to do. All right. So what do we think about this game coming up this weekend, Taylor? A classicer, of course, under very interesting circumstances with Tuchel facing his former club, of course, and with Dortmund a point ahead in this race. This one is in Bavaria. Do you just see a fine win and nothing else here because it seems like we're talking our way into that narrative i'm trying to oh um there's a there's an snl joke uh when kate mckinnon is playing is playing laura ingram and she has this whole bit about uh feel facts which are things that aren't facts but (laughs) feel like they should be one of the feel facts i would say is that Bayern munich will win this game because it just feels like an inevitability of we because Bayern of munich have been so good for so long if you are neutral as i am there is, I think, a tendency to be like, nah, I want to see them implode. <laughs> like, I want to see a giant club in free fall. And I don't think they will give us that pleasure. I think they will win this game somewhat comfortably, and it will be like, oh, there we go. I guess Bayern Munich made the right decision again, even if I don't agree with it, even if I think it was premature. I, I think maybe it won't be quite as comfortable, but yeah, I have Bayern Munich winning. I very much hope I'm wrong, but I don't think that I am. Joe, how about you? And also, the title race... Um... Bayern, despite being in second, are still massive favourites to win this thing. The current numbers are minus 500 for the Bayern Bayern, uh, win, plus 300 for Dortmund. So a massive gulf between those two as well. Yeah, I mean, Ryan, do you? Th- I'm curious because I know you dabble in the betting world. Like, would you would you take those odds for Dortmund? I I don't think I would. They're not they're not long no. enough for me. Yeah. So no. 
it's it's a weird situation right now where Dortmund are on the top of the table and could come out of this weekend with a four point lead. But the bookies know, and sort of people that watch these teams know, and and maybe occasionally take a glance at some of the numbers that Bayern Munich are still the best team in the Bundesliga. Like mm-hmm. everybody knows that it is a feel fact. And, and it is also just kind of a fact fact, depending on what metric and, and ways you want to evaluate this. So I still think Bayern Munich are going to, to do this thing. I think of the edge in this game against Dortmund. In a one-off match, anything can happen. You know, it, I wouldn't be utterly shocked if Dortmund come out and get a result. They've done a lot of good stuff this year. Like, they've won a lot of tight games. In general, they have been a, a competitive force in the league. Like they've they've had a fine season. They're flexible under Edin Terzic. They play in in different spots. The midfield rotates in and around. Like they'll pull Emre Chan back between their center backs. They'll play with a double pivot. Jude Bellingham is one of the most dynamic players in global soccer right now. So they have X factors that can get the job done for them. But I mean, Bayern Munich are just still so strong, and and maybe they will implode. And if they do, you can bet that we're going to talk about it. But even with this managerial change, and even with how how strange it is, and I think we mostly agree that it it was weird to do this, or at least weird to hire Nagelsmann in the first place if you were going to have all these problems with him and, and make his movie into a comedy. Like, all that stuff is weird, but Bayern Munich are still so strong and so talented that it's really hard for me to envision them flopping, at least in the league. Yeah. It, if anyone's going to flop, it feels like Dortmund might get about yeah. three points from the final 10 games and Dortmund, and Bayern end up winning it with a couple of games to spare, which would be the most disappointing outcome for everybody, right? Yeah, it feels it feels like a lose-lose for Dortmund because either you lose and it's definitely a loss or you win, <laughs> but then I think the narrative won't be like, here we go, it's Dortmund's year, they found a way to beat Nagelsmann and Bayern and they're, they're on their way. It will be sort of, well, yeah, but it's Tuchel's first game in charge. Like, let's see what happens as the season yeah. progresses. And you never know with Dortmund. I really hope Dortmund come out and get this win and it is a sort of statement of intent or another statement of intent for them for this campaign. And I think that would be great for continuing the enthusiasm and interest I have for the Bundesliga this season because it's been so uh, compelling from top to bottom. We've already done the... Like, is the Bundesliga broken episode? I think we did a big thing episode about that. Maybe it wasn't a TBT. I don't know what it was. But, like, we've done that. I'm trying to popularize TBT, by the way. First time I, I think that's that. ever been used in internal TSS dialogue. But we need another uh, three-letter initialism. So let's let's make that happen. Um, but, like, by, it, it's crazy to me that it takes all of this. Like, all of these factors. Bayern Munich selling off their best number nine and not truly replacing him, which is a little bit strange. And I think now doesn't look like a, a great decision. Having some disruptive influences inside the the back room, having uh, Dortmund sort of win a bunch of one, one goal games. This was in a piece by Ryan O'Hanlon that said, uh, according to uh, across the big five leagues, excuse me, only Barcelona, PSG and Real Betis have won more one goal games than Dortmund. Like Dortmund are consistently just ending up on the right side of those games it takes Dortmund overachieving a little bit. It takes Bayern Munich massively underachieving, changing a manager towards the end of the season, also dealing with the Champions League, still playing in that competition. All It takes all of those factors for us to have a title race. Like, that that blows my mind. Yeah. Like, Bayern Munich are so far ahead. Taylor, you mentioned it. Like, it, it doesn't feel like this is going to be Dortmund, even if they win the title. It doesn't, to me, feel like... Like, oh, this is the start of something. Like, oh, Dortmund are going to come in next year and they're going to be title favorites or they're going to be like you know, narrowly right behind Bayern Munich and the odds makers. That's, that's just not the case. Like, there is still a massive gap between Bayern Munich and the rest of the league. Yeah. That gap has grown. We've talked about the reasons why TV revenue, a bunch of other factors. Bayern Munich just being smart straight up is a big part of it. But it's, it's crazy to me that it takes all of these things for us to even get to have this conversation about this game on Saturday the classicer being important and and the fact that I'm not even sure that it it is that important. Yeah. It's like uh here's a here's a reference <sighs> so that depressing. everyone will will have in depth. Um when uh when the Turks finally sacked Constantinople and made it Istanbul, they were like the first ones to get through the walls that had been there for I think like close to a thousand years at that point. Uh but then when you look at the precedent, it's like, well, like the Crusaders had already sacked it a little bit, like when they were welcomed in and then took it. And then I think by the time like the actual siege happens, it's like 600 people are defending the walls and all of these historical things had happened to the Byzantine Empire such that they were in this incredibly vulnerable position. And then the Turks came in and took it over that that like, Joe, that's what kind of connects for me is this idea that yeah. there's so many things that have to go wrong. And even there where the analogy falls apart is that the Turks then hold uh, the city, whereas to your point, it feels like next year, given what we've seen in the 
the past. Bayern will probably sign two of Dortmund's players on freeze or find a way to negotiate for one of them to come over. Dortmund will have issues themselves. Leipzig will have to sell players and not quite be there and we'll, we'll get back to the status quo. I think there's always a possibility that isn't how it goes, and we do see Bayern take longer to figure this out. Maybe they have a down rest of the season. Maybe they have a bad start to next year, too. Who knows? But it does feel like if past is precedent, Bayern will be able to weather this one and come out on the other end just fine. Uh, so basically, the TLDR of this entire discussion, Taylor, is um, Bayern have made a change, but even if they did make the change, they still would have been fine. Yeah, I think so. I I think at least in the short term, maybe long term, it would have been a weird breaking point for uh, personalities at at the boardroom level and behind the scenes. The the big question that I come away with, like a thing that I don't really think about that often in these sort of situations, but I did in this one for whatever reason. What do you think is the relationship between the departed manager and the incoming manager? Because in this situation, Thomas Ducal has been living in Munich. Uh, I think I heard that when they contacted them, him, he was like, oh, I can be there in 20 minutes or something like that. Like it was, <laughs> it's, and has been having conversations with the board. It feels to me like, dating somebody and then having them publicly start dating somebody else while you're still with them. It's what happened with Dortmund last year. The Gagan Pressing Podcast was making this point that Terzic in this advisory capacity last season, Marco Rosa is still the coach, but like the board is talking to Terzic and he has these ideas for how to get them to play. And if you're Marco Rosa, you have to eventually think that guy is probably the one who's going to take over when this goes south for me. I wonder if Nagelsmann walks away from this thinking, uh, I'm annoyed by my sacking and I'm annoyed by Thomas Tuchel or if it's just kind of part of the business, you're used to it at this point. I, I'd imagine those two probably have a relationship because Tuchel coached Nagelsmann back in the day. True. But I, I, would, I would imagine that Nagelsmann's like, hey, Tuchel, do you enjoy your massive severance money you got recently? Yeah. <laughs> Are you enjoying yours you're about to get? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's get a beer sometime. Long boarding at the weekend. <laughs> Fun indeed. And... Go ahead, Taylor. Oh, I, I forgot. The other one that I saw a few people point out was Nagelsmann's relationship to a tabloid reporter, maybe an ex-tabloid b- reporter. That's another one that feels like Byron sort of bringing up issues to kind of bolster their argument. But that is one that I saw mooted as players not trusting him or that he might give her the inside scoop. I don't think there was any like actual evidence of that occurring or her reporting anything particularly negative about the club since they had been together, but did want to note that was another thing where it felt like he was making choices in his personal life that weren't in the best interest of the club. And how dare he do that, not have his uh, his work life factor into his personal life. And also she is now, they've now parted ways. So uh, their relationship Even is... better. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it does make that relationship look slightly more cynical than perhaps it would have done had that not been the case. Yeah. So wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, look out. Um, I think that pretty much concludes this conversation, Joe, unless you have any more insight to add about Die Rotten. No, I'm just hoping that Graham is not lost somewhere on the, the slopes. Hopefully he didn't get buried. Hopefully the blazer is bright enough that we can still go out and find him. But yeah. uh, no, that's all I got. That's right. I hope his... Uh, um, ostentatious outfit is uh is visible from wherever he is uh electricity or none joe thank you very much for your contributions today as always though we appreciate you right back at you ryan and taylor rockwell a pleasure as always another wonderful big thing conversation right back at you buddy right back at you joe thank you all for listening thank you indeed listener let us know what you think about this one enjoy dear classica at the weekend but for now bye